But I had an interesting conversation down at the State House one time with someone who said, well, where's the church? Why don't they show up? Why aren't they here? And my answer was, I'm the church and he's the church and you're the church. I said, we're here. It's our job to stop this. That's why we're here. Hey everybody, welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. Again, I am your co-host Amber Archer, and with me as usual is my husband. Husband and wife team. Oh, he does that every time. I love being husband and wife team. (laughs) We are a husband and wife team. We are a filmmaking ministry. Filmmaking ministry. Okay, he's cut off. Like, that's (laughs) it. (laughs) But anyway, so I hope you guys joined us on Tuesday when we had the first part of Christy Stutzman conversation. Because today we're going to pick back up where we left off and finish up our conversation just about all things to deal with the legislative process and what our representatives see and sort of the the struggles and things that they go through mm-hmm. on a personal level mm-hmm. and how we can support our representatives. Yeah. I think the thing that stuck out to me in this conversation is when she talks about, I don't, I don't think we, I never thought about how long, what the, what the commitment of time is, even on a, even if you're a, a state representative, the amount of time that you're required to be away from home, right? Unless you're living in the capital, and then it's you can go into the state house and do your thing, and then go home. Um, but even at that, it, it's not over then because there's constant, constant demands on your time. You remember when we were at Lake County mm-hmm. for the Right to Life banquet, and there was Attorney General Hill yeah. again, and we asked him, how many of these events do you go to? Because mm-hmm. he's just, he was everywhere all the time. He was at the Purple for Parents conference. Curtis, Curtis shows up <laughs> where we are, or, or vice versa. I think we show up where Curtis is most no, of the time. I think, I think he's our fan. <laughs> It's okay. We love Attorney General no, Curtis we're, Hill. We're, we're his fans. Yeah, but, <laughs> super fans. But he, you know, and he had the 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 best attitude about it. He said, "Well, you know, this is the job. Yeah, and this is what you sign up for." Yeah. But when Christy was talking about it, and she said, "You know," and I think she was talking about her husband Marlon mm-hmm. was in the U- U.S. Congress. And talking about how, you know, your your family would be separated for three, four months at a time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you never think about that. But she said even as a state representative, she would be gone for better part of a week mm-hmm. at a time. She'd, you know, be gone Monday through Thursday and then come home on Friday. Yeah. Listen, if you've got a family and you're trying to hold things together, that is not conducive to good family health. Right. <laughs> so, so, so we just need to be in, in prayer and yeah. mindful of our representatives and what they go through to be a voice for us. Exactly. This It is a sacrifice. We tend to really rag on our representatives. And you know what? A lot of them... When when they're when they're being boneheads, you know what you got to tell them, yeah. right? They are there to represent all of us, but um, for the most part, I think the impression that I really took away from our conversation with Christy is they're really there for the right reasons because they really are trying to do the right thing, mm-hmm. and uh, they get down there and without support from home, mm-hmm. they get lost in it, yeah. And that's that's just something that we got to remember. We have got to be their support, yeah. Because we are the church. That's we, right. Everyone have a job to do and a part to play. What is it says in scripture? We're all one body in many parts. Exactly. We have to be the many parts for each other to work together as one mm-hmm. for the Lord. Right. 
the state house, the, 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 at every level, not just, not just, you know, state representatives and senators and U.S. Congress. I mean, city council, county council yeah. needs strong believers, mm-hmm. strong leaders who, school boards. school boards who are focused on Christ and biblical principles. Uh, that is where the Lord has called us to be. We mm-hmm. are to be the leaders. Mm-hmm. And, a lot of us are just not doing that. So yeah. whatever whatever the Lord has called you to, it's time to step up and lead and step to the front of the pack. Yeah. So you guys, without further ado, here is part two of our conversation with former representative Christy Stutzman. So we're talking about social emotional learning and comprehensive sex ed. Okay. So the normal players in that are um, educators who are being told certain things, who have accepted the talking points, basically, of um, whatever is being disseminated to teachers from their unions, from big education um, sources. And the sad thing is they've learned to trust them on other things, and now they're coming to them with this. And they're just, it's like, oh, okay, that's next. And there's not a whole lot of deep dives into what this is actually doing to families and children and and the morals involved with it. So um, it's all whitewashed. It seems like it's all positive and they're really good at spending it to be, oh, this is great. This is helpful. We need this. Um, the scary part is that it does not include parental consent most of the time or parents who are very busy working are not given the chance to know the content. I mean, I'm a parent. I have a child in high school right now and um, just got done with a child um, graduating last year and dealt with some of these issues. I was also a teacher. I know how much communication it takes to make parents be aware of just different things, whether it's a field trip (laughs) or whether it's an activity or whether it's curriculum, something that's due, you know, quizzes coming up, things that they're going to be participating in. Um, It takes a lot of communication. So if you limit that communication and say, well, as a teacher, you're only required to do this, or the parents have to um, proactively say, I don't want my child involved, but we're not going to be contacting them about it. It's up to the parent. Well, there's a disconnect there. And there's a, I think there's a reason behind that approach. Um, and it's mainly that the schools do not believe that the parents have to know all of this about what the children are being presented. And I think as a parent, that's a scary thing. Um, as a teacher, it's very concerning as well. So um, there, for instance, at the state house, we had this um, mental, uh, no, what was it? It was assessment and it was emotional, mental awareness or something like that. But it was a survey that they wanted to have children take. And these are minors in high school and they're asking them very personal, invasive sexual questions. And as a parent, I would not have been comfortable with my child being presented a survey and giving out that information to who knows where it's going to go. Um, But what I found was that there is money always dangled in front of um, educators and legislators saying, if you provide this survey, if your schools participate, then you will receive X amount of money from this federal 
agency or whatever. And so um, there's motivation there because the schools are always looking for money. And uh, so I, I contacted our local school board, our president, um, our superintendent. I sent them the link to the survey and I said, please read all of this and see if you would be okay with this being mandated to our schools. And without blinking an eye, our folks said, no, mm -hmm. no more mandates, no more surveys. We have had enough and we believe that we have a better system in place. They were collaborating with locals for, for um, counseling, for help, for advising, things like that. And they didn't need that. And now if there would, had been money attached to it for their school, it would have been a little bit more tempting. But again, their answer was the mandates. We have mm -hmm. so many mandates already, and this is unnecessary. We've got this taken care of. So I was glad to hear them say that. And then, you know, my reasoning was not just no more mandates, but also the nature of the questions that minors would be asked. Um, but this happens all the time. In fact, the person pushing that um, tried to put it as an amendment over in the Senate once we did not have it pass the House. And so they're constantly trying to find ways um, to get things passed. And believe me, I mean, there are people that push these things and I believe they're in good intention because they'll say things like, um, well, I have, I have children in my school who are sleeping in their cars who don't have parents and the parents don't take care of them. And we're basically, you know, providing their food and, and being a parent figure to them or helping them in, in many ways, which, which I understand. I still don't understand why you would have to survey someone about their personal life and health issues and sexual issues, um, especially a minor. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see how that's necessary. And so we had a difference of opinion on that. Um, but you know, their motivating factor of what they articulated sounded very good. Um, it was, you know, it was, you could be empathetic about it, mm -hmm. but at the same time, the, the practical application of what was actually being asked and the content of it was the main concern that I had. And then also mandating to schools what things they were going to have to do and add to their list of overall mandates <laughs> they're required to do. So, so it can be overcome. Like the schools don't have to take these mandates. Right. Right. They don't have to take them. Uh, well, actually, if the state says it's a mandate, they, they do. Um, but the schools, you know, if they have a say, which I believe they should be given a say, um, can weigh in and say, please, no, no more. Now, there's, you know, there's some schools that will say that other schools that will say, oh, yes, because I think there might be money attached or, or because our kids need this or whatever, whatever their reason is. Um, but I think the rub comes when you have an entity pushing, an education entity pushing an agenda and then gathering data on minors without parental consent. I mean, that to me adds up to something suspicious. There's, there's an underlying thing, uh, you know, agenda that's going on here. Why would you need this personal information on minors and why would you not want parental consent? That raises a red flag. Mm -hmm. um, and so there was you know, there was angst about that. And I think the schools, you know, um, are just, they're doing the best they can with a lot of hard situations, but it's just, um, it's, I guess they are hearing and listening to uh, one side and not really possibly listening to the other. And I think the one side is 
educators, funding, uh, people that definitely have an agenda here where they're wanting to collect data. And on the other side is parents and families. Parents who don't know because they're not being told. Exactly. So they're not showing up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, you know, and if they were to go to the parents and say, hey, what do you think of this? Mm -hmm. They would hear something different over here, but they're not doing that. And so I think when you listen to one side, you know, the Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And I do believe that at the state house um, and, and the way our government's set up, it's set up to have a multitude of counselors on, on issues. And that's where I think people being involved who follow biblical principles and live according to those principles, um, when they see things like this, have to be um, aware and have to be actively involved to make sure that we're there to be a voice and to stop things that we believe are wrong. Mm -hmm. Perfect lead into what I was gonna ask you. <laughs> <laughs> where, where is the church in all this? How vocal do you think the church should be on these matters? Um, right now, I think we need the church to be more vocal. Um, I think we're starting to see that some, but I had an interesting conversation down at the state house one time with someone who said, well, where's the church? Why don't they show up? Why aren't they here? And my answer was, it, I'm the church and he's the church and you're the church. I said, we're here. It's our job to stop this. That's why we're here. I said, it's not the church's job to lobby the state legislature. Now they should speak out and they should be bold about what they believe, but it's people who stand for election and go down there who belong to a church, who belong, who are people of the body of Christ, who are people of faith, that actually stand up and get involved and go down there and are the church present there. And I, I think it was, it was an interesting conversation because um, uh, there, was a, there was a disagreement about whether the church should be an active, you know, vocal presence there as a, an entity. You know, if they want to show up and do, you know, prayer meetings and Bible studies or just be a pastor who's there to, you know, speak truth and to, you know, share, you know, your views with legislators, that's very powerful. Um, I invited as many pastors that I, as I could to come down and say the prayer at the beginning of every session. Um, because I wanted them to rub shoulders with legislators and legislators to talk to them. And that, and that happened, I mean, it's very effective. Um, but the most effective thing the church can do is to support Christians running for office. And then once they get down there, and I would probably beg pastors to hear me about this. When legislators get down there who are part of your flock or who are fellow Christians in your community, don't forget about them. Don't assume that they will just do their job. They need support. They need encouragement. They need guidance. I mean, check on, on them. Check in on them. Check on their family. See how they're doing. Because it is not easy to be away from your family for four months at a time and keep everything going. Legislators have, have struggled because of the stress, because of... Um, the, the concern, the attacks, the public attacks that they have to go through, the distance, um, they've, they've struggled with all of that and they need prayer support and they need a shepherd during that time. Um, I remember 
Marlon having to make some really tough decisions and he would always call back and I did the same thing. I would call back to people that I trusted in my community to say, hey, not only do I need you to pray for me about this, but I would really welcome your opinion on this issue. Um, this is what I'm facing. This is a decision I have to make. Um, and there's a lot of times when those decisions, there is not a good decision. I mean, you're, you're mixing a bad decision with a good decision in order to get as many votes as you can. And so you have a dilemma. Do I support this and allow this? Or do I just vote against the whole thing and say goodbye to a good idea or you know, a good policy? So in those situations, having the wisdom of a pastor to speak into your life is huge. Um, a, a pastor, a spiritual leader, um, a priest, a, a, someone who has discipled you, someone who has spoken into your life um, spiritually and been a guide. Um, mm -hmm is invaluable. So please don't forget about them once they're there um, because the battle just starts once you get there. Um, there's a spiritual warfare going on and it's a daily thing. So as far as things like the obscenity exemption, um, that is something that I don't think there was a lot, it was passed with a lot of you know, hoopla and attention. You know, so people didn't even know what happened. And sometimes legislators will pass things that they don't realize the repercussions of what they just did. Um, at the time, they think, well, you know, this makes sense. This is logical. We're protecting both sides. Let's just pass this. And what I found in the legislative process is that um, a lot of times you're fixing unintended consequences of something that was meant to do something good. And it ends up not at all. It ends up doing something worse. And so you have to come back and fix it. Well, once it's passed, it's really hard to undo it, especially if there's not a lot of public awareness and especially if the legislators don't realize the repercussions of what happened after it was passed. So the practical implementation of something that has caused harm um, needs to be realized, not just by the legislators, but by the public as well. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you have to almost do a public awareness campaign in order for legislators to get it on their radar and to build the case for why this needs to be changed. So that can take a year, it can take 10 years. And so what you need is a large group of people across the state raising awareness and saying, hey, this needs to stop and this is why. I have seen this happen and this has caused a problem here, so please stop this. So you start that grassroots support but at the same time, you reach out to your legislators and say, hey, here's an idea for a solution to solve this problem and stop it. So you're, you're doing that and you're also raising awareness in your community. You're letting your school boards know. You're letting your commissioners know. You're letting your mayors know um, of how this has affected lives. And so it really does take a small core group of people who understand the issue and have an idea how to solve it whether it's doing away with legislation or fixing something, and then bringing a pro proposal to the, the floor, to the table, and saying, okay, here's what we're proposing. This is what we think will work. Here's a starting point, like mm -hmm. I was talking about before. Here's mm -hmm. your starting point, an idea. Um, who is willing to carry this? Um, so you have to say, okay, not only is this, this the idea, will you carry it, but there's so many people mm -hmm that want this as well. So you have to be able to show, we have a grassroots network of about 50,000 people who have signed on to this petition and who have you know, been working on this and there's local school boards or their local commissioners meetings. And now it's time for you guys to act because it is 
it is reaching a point where if you don't act, <laughs> there's going to be repercussions on you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of how you build it. And that can happen within a year. Um, it depends on what network you tap into. There's networks already in place in the state of people who are connected, whether it's the Builders Association or the Realtors Association mm -hmm. or insurance agents or, or teachers associations. I mean, those are all people that have a network that communicate regularly. So if you start raising awareness with um, the local Lions Club, you start raising awareness with the local parent teachers uh, association or the parent support group or whatever, those things can catch fire, mm -hmm. especially when people see, oh, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, what is it going to take to change it? Can we change it at our school? Mm -hmm. Or can we, oh, well, we can't? Oh, well, where do we go? Do we go to the school board? Oh, they can't change it? Well, who? Oh, the state legislature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that, it, that process takes a while of the mm -hmm. recognizing, you know, oh, we have to go all the way there to get this changed. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you just gotta be, you know, grassroots, raising awareness, legislators, local leaders and things like that, all hands on deck, you know, to change it. So with the obscenity exemption, um, I would say that's the approach that I would hope that we take. Um, it's definitely needed. We definitely have proof that it has caused problems and it's getting worse, it's not getting better. And the implementation of it has definitely been to our detriment. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been to help anything. Um, so we definitely need to um, build a good coalition and a broad spectrum grassroots movement to say enough and it's past time and uh, here's why. Thank you so much you guys for tuning in to today's show and hearing part two of our conversation with former Representative Christy Stutzman. I hope you have walked away encouraged and informed and ready to take the next step into whatever the Lord is calling you to do to help in the legislative process, if nothing else. So thank you so much for joining us. And as always, this show is listener supported. So if you would like to help us reach more people and bring you more information more often, we would love to add more programming, but we can't do that without your help. So please be sure to visit our website at fearlessfeatures.org where you can learn more about our ministry, the current documentary we're working on, and watch our latest film. So you don't want to miss any of that. So go and check out fearlessfeatures.org where you can share your support. We look forward to joining you again next week on Tuesday and Thursday. Have a blessed week. <music>